the known world, the Jews, the Greeks, they, they couldn't think of any reason for God to be on the cross because the only people that were crucified were criminals. For the Gentiles, it was foolishness. For the Jews, it was offensive. Yet that was the divine plan. And yes, it is foolishness to one extent. But it is foolishness that demonstrates the power of God over the world because it is through that foolishness, it is through the cross that humanity can be saved. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Just to let you know, we are not starting a series on Hebrews this morning. So we're, we're just going to be here this morning because as we were finishing up the, the book of Peter, I thought, you know, let's remind ourselves of our Savior and let's go and see and get a, a picture of Him. And I thought when you do that and you, you think about Christ, especially through the New Testament, there's four really what have been deemed Christological, great Christological passages in the New Testament in Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 um, is one of those. And it, it really talks about the excellencies of Jesus. Now, when I typed that, and I don't, I don't know, it must have been near lunch or something, uh, because I was thinking, what, what, what would be really excellent? And it must have been hot outside or something, because the first thing that went through my mind was some homemade ice cream. You know, that, that was excellent. And then, you know, sitting in my grandmother's house, I was like, well, you can't have ice cream until you have your lunch. And so I thought, wow, a tomato sandwich, that, that would be excellent too. So what, a, what an excellent meal, a tomato sandwich and, and some homemade ice cream. Alas, I did not have either one. Um, but we, we have these ideas of things that are, are excellent in our minds. If, if somebody were to come up to you and say, what, what's excellent uh, for you, what, what would you say? And I, I just happened to look at Greg, and I'm going to pick on Greg, and I, I imagine Greg would come back and say, you know, Gary, if, if I shot, you know, like 68 on a round of golf, that, that would be excellent. That may be high. I don't know. He may shoot 68 routinely. I, I, I don't know. Um, about 12 holes? All right. You, you play golf like I do. You know, I used to play golf at Hillcrest because it was the only way I could hit out of a fairway because the fairways went like this. And I, usually it was the adjacent fairway, but I, I, I did hit out of a fairway. You know, we, we think of things that are excellent. You, you know, the beach might be excellent to you. The mountains might be excellent to you. I mean, we, just, we, we think of something that is excellent. The writer of Hebrews comes and says, hey, you know what? The most excellent thing that we can have is Jesus. And the reason he writes this book is because the Hebrews have, have made a profession of faith they're committed believers, but they've started struggling in their faith. Now, it's, I always think it's easy for us to look back at Scripture and look at the context of why passages or, or books of the Bible were written or look at what somebody did and, and from a distance of several thousand years, easy to throw a stone back at them, right? And we go, man, I can't believe those Hebrews were, were struggling in their faith. Really? Because I imagine all of us have at, at one time or another. But they were struggling and they were having a hard time. Remember, Hebrews is only 30 to 40 years after Jesus has ascended. So they're still trying to figure it out. 
They're still trying to understand everything. And it's called Hebrews for a reason because most of them left the Jewish tradition and became Christians. And so they're struggling trying to go, all right, was it right for us to leave Judaism and become Christians? Was it right to make that decision? And the author of Hebrews is writing to say, look, look, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because there is, there is nothing better than Jesus. Jesus is not a step on our journey. Right? What, what, what would be better than Jesus? <laughs> Any, anyone? I mean, that's basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But he's going to outline it for them very clearly in the first three verses. And this is what he writes. He says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Through Him also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're in the middle of a sentence. Let's read verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So as he begins to write, he makes a very clear point and a connection that we need to see first before we look at the excellencies. And to do this, he goes way back in time. And he says, back long ago, God spoke. And long ago in the days of the Old Testament that, that they had, the Torah that they would have, they could see how God spoke. They could see that God spoke through the prophets. Right? He, he would call the prophet Malachi, and Malachi would, would go speak. We could see through the Old Testament that God spoke in dreams. He gave Abraham a dream. We could see that, that God spoke through the still, small voice, right? Elijah, right? God's voice wasn't in the hurricane, and God's voice wasn't in the fire, but, or the earthquake and the fire. God's voice was, was just in the, the small wind as, as it blew through. And, and, and the writer says, God spoke in a lot of ways in the past. And God is still speaking today. The writer says, but now... God speaks in the last days. Interesting, right? We think that we're living in the last times, and here the writer of Hebrews, shortly after the ascension of Christ, says, in the last times. So we've been in the last times since Jesus ascended. It says, however, now Jesus, or excuse me, God has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of God speaking. Which is why the writer goes on and writes and says, look, he's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's, he's better than the angels. And why there is nothing else after Jesus, because in, as, as revelation was progressive and comes from incomplete to complete, the final and complete revelation of God to the world was the person of Jesus Christ. So there's no need to look for anything else. There's no need to look beyond there's no need to look for what the next most excellent thing would be because Jesus is the most excellent thing since he is the final and complete revelation of God to, to man. And then he keeps writing and he says, look, look, these are seven ways that Jesus is most excellent. So there are seven points this morning, but we'll go through them. Each one spend just a little bit of time. And the first thing he says is right there, 
in verse the second part of verse 2, he says, He has appointed him heir of all things. Jesus is heir of all things. So these are seven reasons that Jesus is the most excellent. He's heir of all things. Now, you know what an heir is, right? We, we all understand this. An heir is the person who receives your possessions. You make a will that says so-and-so is getting this, and so-and-so is getting this, and so-and-so is getting this. And then everybody comes around after you, you die and it says, all right, this person gets this and this person gets this and this person gets this. You, you, are, you are the heirs. The writer says that, that Jesus is the heir of all things. Now, there's an interesting question then. What is Jesus the heir to? Right? How is, what, what is going to be his possession? Well, quite simply, if you think about it, God's determined purpose in creation is to bring to Jesus a redeemed group of humanity. Jesus gave up everything so that we could be redeemed. Right? He became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. He, he lived a life of poverty. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And, and so he, he ministered to people, and people rejected him. He died on the cross for our sins. And, and now he's going to be an heir. And you think, well, how's he going to be an heir? He doesn't have anything. So what's going to be handed over to him? Well, we are. <laughs> we, have you ever thought about that? you're God's possession that he's going to hand over to Jesus. We're like a gift to Jesus from God because we've been redeemed through him. That ought to make you feel a little bit special. right? We always try to find uh, ways to feel special or, or ways to feel validated. We want people to validate us. right? Here, here we're told that the greatest validation we can have is the fact that Jesus is there because we are his. We become a love gift from God to Jesus. Because we are the redeemed humanity that he saved. And we've seen this, right? In our study of Revelation on Wednesday nights, we, we, we've seen this. Where the redeemed are handed over to Jesus. Where the redeemed are in heaven with Jesus. Jesus is heir over everything. Not just us, but he's also heir over creation. Creation is going to be given over to him in all its purity and all its glory and all its splendor. And he is going to rule over that as well. So everything, everything belongs to Jesus. Secondly, it says that he is creator of all. It says, through him also he created the world. Let's go back and read a couple verses. It's interesting. All the verses we're going to read this morning are Hebrews 1, Genesis 1, and John 1. Or at least for this point, right? Go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, next word is, created. He created the heavens and the earth. Then through the rest of the creation account, where we have that introductory topic sentence in verse 1, the rest of the creation account, it says that God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was sea. God spoke and there was fish. God created through the power of his word. Ex nihilo is, is the Latin phrase. Out of nothing, God spoke and it became something, right? And you know that old joke. I'm sure you've heard about scientists saying, well, we can create something, that, that competition between God and scientists. And God says, all right, create humanity. And the scientist says, all right, let me go get some dirt. And says, God says, wait a minute, nope, you can't start with dirt. 
You've you got to create it out of nothing. And here we see Genesis 1, God creating something out of nothing just through the, the power of his speech. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, not God created, but this time, in the beginning was the Word. Now, small, quick, just, just a little digression here, okay? God's Word, with a little w, is the Bible. God's Word, with a big w, is Jesus. Okay? Th th there is a difference. All right? So we, we need to be... Be, be careful about that. Uh, just sometimes when you're, you're reading, make note of that because sometimes it's, it's not clear. They'll capitalize word for the Bible and you think it's talking about Jesus and it, it's really meaning the Bible. So, and I bring that up because in John 1 where you read, in the beginning was the word, the word, word, <laughs> is the capital W. So in the beginning was the Word back when God created, when God spoke. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then it says, and something I think sometimes that we overlook in verse 3, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Do you see the connection this morning between Genesis 1, John 1, and Hebrews 1? Jesus is the creator. He is the creator of all things. What we look out and we see around us, Jesus created. The mountains, the sky, the trees, the birds, me and you. Jesus was the instrument of creation. In the beginning, God spoke through the power of His spoken word, He creates, and Jesus was there creating it. And as it says here in Hebrews, it says that He was He created uh, everything. It says He created the world. The word "world" there is, is a little bit misleading because it really means age. It, it's where we get our word "eon," right? It says Jesus created the the, the ages. He, he's created. Everything, time and space, the universe has been created by Jesus. And him being creator is, is, is so important. You know I, got, I, you know I can get on my soapbox about evolution, and I have on occasion. But one of the things about evolution is it robs Jesus of his glory expressed through creation. I mean, it, it, it robs Jesus of that glory. It robs me and you of being fearfully and wonderfully made. You give anybody a choice, cosmic accident, fearfully and wonderfully made, which one would you rather be? I want to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And it says here that Jesus is creator of all. Third reason he is the most excellent, it says he is the light of all. Verse 3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. That means that he shines forth light. He shines forth God's glory. Again, go back to the Old Testament. God is depicted so many times as light. They're traveling through the desert. 
and they put up the tent. How did they know that the tent, that God's presence was in the tent? You remember the Shekinah glory of God would shine down. What would they see? They would see the light of God shining down. And so here the writer says, he is the light. He shines forth the glory of God. And that imagery of light is throughout the New Testament, right? Jesus is the light of men. He is the true light who gives light to everyone. He calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He shines God's glory. And as he shines God's glory to the world, one of the things that that light does in shining the radiance of God's glory is pointing us and directing us towards salvation. I mean, I really like that verse in Peter where I keep going back to it. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is calling us out of the darkness of the sin and darkness of the world to him so that, so that we can know him. And he shines that light down into our hearts right there to give us the knowledge of God. To give us the knowledge that God is a holy God, a moral God, a just God. And at the same time, revealing to us that we're not those things. <laughs> but that we need to be saved, that, that we need to be redeemed. And he shines that light into our hearts so that we can be saved, so that we can know him and follow him. And the light that shines into the world, we know it will never, ever be overcome by darkness. He is the light of all. But then number four, Jesus is God of all. says so the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. And this is, this is so important. For that verse affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. It affirms the fact that God himself stepped out of heaven and and, you know, this is one of those things we have to take on faith. We have to, to believe because it, it, it's hard to wrap our minds around it. All right? Every time we talk about the Trinity, I, I, I say it's, you know, it's a mystery. We look for all those examples to explain it, and, and every example falls short somewhere because we, we can't understand. Right? You want a scary picture? Imagine a Gary over here, a Gary here, and a Gary here. There's three Garys, and they're all the same. Right? But we're all one. <laughs> now, even triplets aren't all the same. Right? But, the, but the Trinity, God who has revealed himself in three distinct persons, but of the same essence. Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, God steps down onto his creation, takes on the form of, of humanity, but even at doing that, he is still God. And the writer says he is the, the exact imprint, the exact repre representation of God. And the metaphor being used is, is, is one of en engraving, that if you had a mold, especially in this context of, of coins and stamping coins, right? You've got that one master mold where it, it, it goes and, and stamps everything. So it all looks the same. It all looks identical. It says that Jesus 
is exactly. He is the, the exact... There's nothing that deviates in the nature of Christ that is different from God. Why? Because He is God. And as good as Moses was, as good as the prophets were, as, as good as the angels were, and as good as the, the patriarchs of the Old Testament were, as good as the New Testament apostles were, as, as good as they were and as good as they were being used by God to speak, none of them, even though, even though you and I are created, even though they were created in God's image, that we carry God's image within us, we are not the exact imprint of God. Only Jesus Christ is the exact imprint. And Jesus expresses that perfectly to the world. Remember that conversation Jesus was having with his disciples and, and Philip comes up and asks the question, says, hey Jesus, can we see the Father? Do you remember what Jesus' answer was? He looked at Philip and he says, anyone who has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. The only way for that to be true is if Jesus is indeed God. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know what? In this absolute, mind-boggling, glorious mystery and miracle, the infinite God contains Himself in a finite body. And that body was Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ then becomes the exact imprint of the nature of God. And Jesus reveals that nature to the world. Number five, why Jesus is more excellent. Jesus is administrator of all. He is administrator of all. Now, I know originally you probably think administrator. What's so great about being an administrator? Well, ask an administrator, and they'll tell you what's great about being an administrator. All right? But it says here that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus supports everything. The verb tense is in the present tense, so he constantly does it. How many of you this morning, how many of you this morning got up before the sun came up? Anybody? I, I didn't quite get up before the sun this morning. We got, we got one. Did you think for a moment this morning, Brad, that the sun wasn't going to come up? No. The only reason it came up this morning is because Jesus, as administrator of the universe, brought it up. The only reason tonight, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, whenever, that the sun will set and the moon will rise is because Jesus, as administrator of the universe, of the heavens and the earth, does that. Everything that we take for granted happens because of Jesus is administrating it. The wind blows up here because Jesus is administrating it. Hey, Jesus, on some days, could you lower it just a little bit? Right? I can't... What would happen if Jesus just took his hand off the universe for, for just a split second? I mean, I, I just got this visual image of pieces just flying out <laughs> into the cosmos as everything just disintegrates because it's no longer being held together. Can you imagine what that would be? The world and the universe would cease to function. 
we got all these laws, right? Law of thermodynamics, the law of gravity, law of, all, all these scientific laws that have, have attempted to explain the universe. And before I get said, well, well gee, he's an anti I'm not anti-science. It works because Jesus put it together, all right? So I'm not denying science. But all those laws is not why the universe functions the way the universe functions. It is observations that we have made of why or how the universe functions, but the why behind it, why does the universe function in that orderly Why does the sun come up and rotate, or, or and the earth rotate around the sun? Why does that happen? Yeah, we can come up with great formulas and we can come up with all kinds of uh, uh, things to see and we can determine that, that it takes us 365 days and a quarter to go around. We can determine and see all of that and express it in scientific jargon and formulas. But why? Why does it work? Because the Creator holds it together. And if he did not hold it together, there would not be any need for any type of scientific exercise because we wouldn't be able to put any type of order in the chaos. But Jesus as administrator, and one of the ways he manifests his wisdom is through governing and directing the universe. He is administrator overall. Number six, Jesus is Savior overall. It says, after making purification for sins, right there, he, he's, he made purification for sins. He is our Savior. Matthew 1, Joseph is about to quietly divorce Mary because Mary has been found with child. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream and outlines the divine plan, which I still got to give give Joseph credit for going through with the divine plan and not going, God, you're crazy. I'm not. Find somebody else. But do you remember the last part of the plan where the angel is speaking and the angel says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came into the world so that he could save us from our sins. He came into the world so that he could live a perfectly sinless life. Go to the cross. Come sin for us so, so that we might be saved. And the writer says, look at how great he is. He, he made purification for your sins. He, he cleaned you up. You didn't clean yourself up. The blood of bulls and goats didn't clean you up. He cleans you. He purifies you. Because in Him, He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Everything that we could not. And because of that, He becomes Savior of the world. And man, that's still a stumbling block today, right? It, it was a stumbling block then, and it's a stumbling block now. I think one of the reasons for us now is, is we're so far removed from, from crucifixion, we, we, we don't think about the horrors of it. But at the same time, we, we don't understand the mindset at the time. The known world, the Jews, the Greeks, they, they couldn't think of any reason 
for God to be on the cross because the only people that were crucified were criminals. I mean, for the Jews, it was foolishness. For the Gentiles, it, 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 it was, or for the Gentiles, it was foolishness. For the Jews, it was offensive. The Jews can't understand. No, no, no. That's a sign of 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 evil. It's a sign of a sinner. For the Greeks, and going well, you, you know, if he was smart, he wouldn't have ended up there. It butted up against their philosophical thought. Yet that was the divine plan. It was the divine plan for Jesus to go to the cross. And yes, it is foolishness to one extent. But it is foolishness that demonstrates the power of, of, of God over the world because it is through that foolishness, it is through the cross that, re, that, that humanity can be saved. That's why we're called the glory in the cross. Kind of an odd sentence. To glory in something as barbaric as crucifixion. Unless it was the Savior of the world, the Savior of mankind, the Savior who, who died for my sins instead of me so that I could be saved. Then, in that case, we should glory in it all day long. He is Savior of all who come and confess Him as Lord and Savior. Just as He was then, just as He is now, just as He will be tomorrow. He is Savior over all. And then finally, that makes him Lord of all. It says he's set down at the right hand of majesty on high. When he finished his work, Jesus goes to the cross, and he goes to the cross, and then he finishes, comes, rises on the third day, ascends into heaven, and then he gets to heaven, and he goes, and he sits down beside majesty on high. That, that, that translation really is the highest of highs. What is higher than high? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what is wetter than wet? I don't know. There's nowhere else he can go. He sits in the most elevated position. His throne is in the most elevated position, and no one can sit higher than him. And he sits there today and he rules and he reigns. And, and, and don't overlook the word sit. It's important that he is sitting. Because the idea of sitting conveys to us that his work is done. His redemptive work is done. Nothing else then or now needs to be done. Nothing. There, there is no Jesus plus something else. See the book of Galatians to fully understand that argument. Jesus did everything that needed to be done. There is nothing else left. So he got finished with his work, and he sat down. One sacrifice perfected all sinners for all time. And because he did that, and because he made purification for our sins, he was exalted just as Jesus, or, or just as Paul wrote, excuse me, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 about him. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. He has been exalted. His name is the name above all names. He has been enthroned on the highest of high because he is Lord over all. He's the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. This morning, as, as we look at those verses and just reminded about those excellencies, maybe you've struggled with your faith this week. Maybe you've been struggling the past couple weeks. Maybe a struggle will develop next week. And you ask yourself, is Jesus really worth it? And the answer is yes, and so much more. Because Jesus is the most excellent thing, the most excellent person, the most excellent idea. He is the most excellent anything after that that we can fathom, that we can understand. He is the most excellent because He is heir of all, because He is the creator of all, He is the light of all, He is God of all, administrator of all, He is Savior of all, and He is Lord of all. And if you really want to put that and make that to a more personal context when you start to struggle, go replace all with me. He's Savior of me. He's ruler of me. He's Lord of me. To remind us that Jesus is the absolute most excellent in all of creation. And that is the God whom we serve. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.